You're listening to the Redemption City Church podcast. To learn more about Redemption City Church, visit us online at rccbaltimore.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Adam Wilson. Well, hey guys, it's my, um, man, it's really my privilege uh, to wrap up this short journey that we've had through Haggai. Uh, this morning, and for almost all of you, this is probably the first time you've spent uh, maybe any time, but definitely a significant time in this small book, uh, Haggai. This is uh, the minor prophets are not like the most frequent watering holes for uh, the Christian. And uh, just to give you a little context, the, the role of a prophet in the Bible, uh, it's almost like the best man or the, the maid of honor uh, of your best friend getting married. So think about, imagine, imagine your uh, friend, your, your best friend gets married. And after a couple years, your, your best friend, their spouse, comes to you and is like, hey, I, I need your help. My, my husband, my, my wife, is, they're wandering away from me. They're, they're wandering into unfaithfulness to me, and I don't know what to do. I, I need your help. And, and if you're a good friend, what you're going to do is you're going to say, you're going to go to your best friend and be like, dude, sister, what are you doing? Come back to this relationship. Come back to your marriage. Come back to the covenant of love and faithfulness that you made and that you committed to. And this is kind of the ministry of Haggai. He's, he's showing Israel's wandering heart away from God, away from Israel's husband, Yahweh, and inviting them to come back to faithfulness um, to him. And in this text, so you get the, the bride, Israel, the husband, Yahweh, you might be like, okay, where do, where do we fit in uh, in the church uh, today? And uh, what's the, what's, what does this really have to do with us? Uh, it can feel like we're maybe on the outside looking in. And uh, if you were the Christians in Corinth, actually, who Paul was writing to, they, they wanted the same thing about the Old Testament. What does this have to do with us um, at times? And listen to how Paul responds. This is, how, this is what the Old Testament has to do with you, Christian. He says in 1 Corinthians 10, he says, Now these things that happened to Israel, they happened to Israel as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of ages has come. So Christian, Paul's saying, God is saying, Everything that happened to Israel, all these kind of obscure, this obscure prophet, all these words spoken, these purity laws, these mistakes made, they're they're given to you and written down to you today, right now, for us, from God. And so that's with the kind of uh, context I want you to come in with. And if you're just joining us, just the context for Haggai, really quick, is God allowed Israel to be conquered um, by a foreign power. They were being unfaithful to God. They were deported. 1.5 million Jews were deported away from Israel. 70, year, 70 years later, about 50,000 of them, only 50,000 come back. Um, and they come back to rebuild the city, rebuild the temple, rebuild the walls. And uh, when they got started, they probably got started like a lot of you got started off with whatever your New Year's resolution was this year. Like first week of January, you were hitting it hard. Let's go. Like you were in the gym, you were on that diet, you were, you know, you had your new schedule, whatever. Uh, but then like, the start of February, probably like this week hits, and you're kind of like, man, we're, wa- we're, we're wavering a little bit. And that's kind of like Israel. Like, pretty soon, they were wavering. They started strong. They started prioritizing rebuilding the temple, the sign of God's presence. But uh, pretty soon, they got sidetracked with their uh, kind of resolution there. They started prioritizing their comfort, as we heard about the first week, over worship of God. And then last week, we heard that they prioritized kind of looking back on the good old days ahead of what, instead of what God had ahead for them. Uh, you guys all had a friend like this, the friend that like, is living in the glory days. Maybe it was high school. Maybe it was that super weird person that lives in the glory days of middle school. I don't know if that is anybody. If, if that's you, come talk to me afterwards. Or for me, 
Um, I would be interested to talk to you, uh, just to hear your story. For me, it was like that fraternity brother who was 60 that came back and was still living out the glory days in college every game day weekend, right? Um, they're kind of trying to relive, and their eyes are back on the glory days. And now, this last week, Haggai's going to um, call out this nation one more time, and honestly, I hope call out us out one more time, because the temple work's been delayed again. They're, they're wandering in faithfulness to God, not because of like backed up supply chains, not because of... Uh, building code delays, but because of hidden sin, unaddressed sin in their life. And God's going to confront them, and I hope us this morning, for prioritizing outward work above inward holiness, inward purity. And through this text today, I hope you get to see that we are um, like Israel, you and me, we're like Israel. And I pray the Spirit lovingly confronts you of any hidden sin and unconfronted, un dealt with sin. So you can be launched into to worship and work well um, for God. And uh, let me actually just pray for that real quick. I, I talked about praying. Why don't I just pray real quick for that to happen? Uh, Father, thank you for that you've written down these things for our instruction. God, our tendency is to hide sin, is to keep sin unaddressed, to, to curate our lives, to, to keep a, a good veneer. God, I pray you'd break through that today. I pray that you would heal us and bring cleansing and purity and holiness to your people today. Give us clean hearts. Give us clean hands. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so here's, here's what's going on. God instructs Haggai. He says, Haggai, go to the priests, go to the religious leaders, and you are going to give them a little pop quiz on a couple of purity laws. Uh, if you guys read the text, uh, basically he's, what he's going to ask is, what happens when unclean stuff touches clean stuff? Now, you've probably heard that um, and you're like, man, that seems very far contextually from me. There's a big gap. I don't understand uh, how this really affects us. Or So uh, just so we can understand what God's getting at here with these purity laws, I want to make sure we understand the background of them. Um, these laws can seem really primitive to you and me, but for the Jew of this day, it ingrained at least three realities in them. And I just want to talk about those three realities real quick of these purity laws, the effect they had on Jewish, uh, the Jewish people. Uh, one... They instilled that God is perfectly clean, perfectly pure. They did, God was not some huggable teddy bear, um, but a God who is set apart, who is pure, who is other, who is, dwells in unapproachable light. He ferociously loves good and ferociously hates evil. Moses is told he can't see God or he's going to die. The prophets, they have a dream about God and they fall down on their face like they're dead. Secondly, Israel knew through these laws that just people are dirty. Our broken hearts, our, dirt, our, our broken world means people either are doing evil or we are just impacted by the evil and brokenness around us, this evil that God hates. And hundreds of these laws are devoted to give us a picture of a world fallen and a people fallen so far short of what God intended. And thirdly, they were meant to get this fact that dirty people can't interact with the pure God. If you were ceremonially unclean from one of these purity laws, you were isolated. You had to go outside. You couldn't worship in God's presence. You had to go outside of the people of God. I think the closest thing that we would probably get to is like, um, to this is like when we, like in the early days of COVID, if you got COVID. You guys remember that? Remember those days? I know you try to block it from your memory. I remember the first time I got COVID though, my wife was like, you, basement, I'm not going to see you for a week, Right? I was cast out. I was unclean, right? People wouldn't even come in our house. They, like, dropped food off at the door. 
I couldn't be with you here. I, had to, I was separated from God, and I was separated from God's people in a sense, right? I, well, God so loved me, but you know what I mean. I, I couldn't come here to worship with you guys, right? And it's with this context that I want to look at these two questions. I, I really, we're doing a little pre, pre-homework here just to make sure we're grasping the, the weight of the text that God is, is giving to us here. So I want to look at these two questions, again, that Haggai asked. Haggai asked the priest, uh, verse 12, chapter 2, if someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches bread or stew or wine or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priest answered, no. Uh, if you took filet mignon and touched kale with it, does the kale become really good? No. Okay, we get that, right? Yes, we get that. Okay, second question. Then Haggai said, if someone is unclean by contact with a dead body, if you touch a dead body, does, uh, and, and of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered, it does become unclean. Yes, boom, easy, Haggai, the priest nailed it. So the, these questions are no-brainers for the priest. Why is Haggai asking them? He's driving home this point. In our world, brokenness and sin are contagious, not holiness. And the, the natural way of the world is it bends towards brokenness. It bends towards chaos. And, and we understand this, right? If, if your kid is sick and you go touch, and you're healthy and you go touch your sick kid, what's more likely to happen? Your kid get healthy or you get their germs and get sick? Or this one hits home to me. If, if, you, are, if you have a, a new kid with a blowout, dirty diaper, and you come with a clean shirt and clean hands... And that kid is flailing around. What is more likely to happen? That everything magically becomes clean or that poo gets everywhere? Yes. That's correct. Thank you, Linda. <laughs> so what he's saying here, and this is, he's trying to get us this point that um, dirty things always make the clean ones messy, not, not the other way around. And so it's this principle, keep this principle in your mind, this is what Haggai's trying to establish here, and that God is going to deliver this gut punch to Israel. Verse 14, then Haggai answered and said, so is it with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord, and so with every work of their hands and what they offer there is unclean. There's a few levels of uncleanness, of defilement that God is, is going to point out here. Look, first he says just the people themselves are unclean. God's basically declaring them a, a dead corpse that's spreading death and disease with everything they do. They have unconfessed, undealt with sin in their life, and, and they didn't share God's heart. They didn't love good and hate evil. They loved evil. They loved sin and didn't love good, despise good. And because they're, I want you to see this, because they, they themselves are unclean, it, it's cascading to all, everything below them, all their, all their work. It says their work is unclean. Look, look, at, look back to 14. And so every work of their hands. It says because they're spiritually dead, because they're spiritually unclean, everything they did, all, all their work was not right before God. And it makes sense, right? If your hands are, are filthy already, like, how do you expect to produce clean and good things that reflect God's character? This is, this is not just Haggai. Isaiah says this in, in chapter, um, Isaiah 64, verse 6. Uh, Isaiah owns too. He says, we, we Israel, we've all become like one is unclean. All our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. This is graphic, but I, but I, I want to point this out so you can feel the weight of this. 
literally polluted garment in the language here of this verse I just said means menstrual rags. So God's saying, your, your heart isn't clean before me, but, but think about the best thing you've done. The thing you're most proud of, Israel, it is like a used tampon to me. And, fi- and finally, because they're unclean, it says their worship is unacceptable. Listen, what they offer there is unclean. The sacrifices they're giving are unacceptable. Even the motions of the worship that God has instructed them to do are unacceptable. And you see this a lot in, in the Old Testament prophets. He's saying, God, God, stop doing the outward motions of worship because your heart does not align with it. And when their hearts don't mirror God, they, they embrace sin in their lives. They show they don't love God. This, this makes sense to us, right? If, if, if you were like, getting your spouse flowers or a gift, but then texting another woman to meet up later, she she doesn't want your flowers. She wants your heart, right? And because Israel has been sheltering this secret and unaddressed, unaddressed sin in their life, it cascades on every part of their life. Think about like, a, a chocolate fountain at a wedding. They used to have their weddings when I was growing up. I don't see them as much anymore. But like, the source of chocolate is cascading this goodness all over the, the strawberry, the marshmallow, all this good stuff, right? This is like the opposite. The, the source of the Israelite is cascading this dirtiness all over everything in their life and all around them. And so this principle is, is here that Haggai is saying, you can't be doing the outward signs of serving God, but inwardly dead and defiled. It doesn't work that way. Okay, so you might say, okay, dude, like, I, that's, that's pretty harsh. How does this apply to me? That's a little bit of distance between Israel and these purity laws. We don't live under these purity laws. Uh, I ate bacon this morning. I wear an uh, undershirt with lots of different kinds of cloth woven in, and I love it. Um, and Jesus loves me, and we're good. But I, I want you to listen to how Jesus talks about how someone becomes defiled, how someone becomes unclean. He talks about this in Matthew 15. Listen to this. To, to a people that are striving, Jesus is talking to a people that are striving in, in every way just to, to keep themselves clean by not touching the wrong stuff. He says, do you see that whatever goes in the mouth, into the mouth, passes into the stomach and is expelled, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and that defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts and murder and adultery and sexual immorality and theft and false witness and slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Parents, do not let your kids see the last part of that verse, or they will use it to try to not wash their hands. Um, So what Jesus is saying, what really makes you unclean, what God cares about the most is not what you touch or what you eat, or these outward things, but what makes you unclean before a holy God are the actions that come out of the core of who you are, that come from your heart, that come from your affections. So he's saying, hey guys, did anyone ever think an evil thought of someone? Any bitterness lingering around? Any, any lustful fantasies? Any lies? Talk unfairly about someone behind their back? Have you ever done that? And have you ever done an act out of greed? Anybody not do that? So what Jesus is saying is this group of people who are doing all this external activity to keep clean, what is he saying? He's saying you're all unclean and it's coming from inside of you. It's coming from your heart, from your actions, not from the stuff outside of you. And that unclean heart is creating a cascade, remember the chocolate fountain, a cascade of, 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 of defilement that impacts everything we do, our work, our religious activity, even the best 
acts on our resume are affected by this core uncleanness. And R.C. Paul says, says this makes sense. He says, in the holiness of God, the logic of the Bible is this. Since no one has a perfect heart, no one does a perfect deed. And so like the Israelites, there's no amount of good work, no amount of religious activity that's going to make you clean before God. And we still try to do this, though. I, I, this is a little bit of a lighter example, but man, um, I, I've done this multiple times. Jen and I will get in an argument. Uh, I'll be impatient. I'll be, um, I'll be too quick. I'll be, um, man, I, maybe say something that's not kind. I know that's surprising. Um, and we'll, we'll take a little break or whatever, and I'm just convicted. Man, I sinned against my wife. I, I just was un, unkind to her. And what do I do? Do I go confess my sin and apologize? No, because I'm so godly, because I'm so holy. I'm going to go read my Bible. I'm going to read my Bible because I'm so godly, right? And I'm sitting there the whole time. I get, like, brick-walled by the Holy Spirit. It's like, dude, go confess your sin to your wife. Go, go make the core of what's going on. Go uh, uh, right. Not do this external religious activity that's going to make you right. And, and we try to do this all the time, right? We're... I see lots of people that have maybe served in a ministry while you're like sleeping or staying over with your boyfriend or girlfriend, or maybe you're taking someone through foundations and discipling them while you're maybe feeding or struggling with a secret porn addiction, or reading your Bible hours a day while you're um, neglecting a command of generosity. And then we wonder why our lives are a mess and why our hearts are a mess and we don't have peace. It doesn't matter how much you're serving, how much you're giving, how much Bible you have memorized, how much Christianese you speak. If, you, if, if sin has a hidden and safe harbor in your heart, if it goes unaddressed, then that brokenness will cascade over every portion of your life. And none of these activities are going to make us clean, guys. So, so Haggai and, and I think Jesus are, are creating this dire picture for us, picturing our, our hands covered in mud, covered in filth, looking around for some way to be clean, but just being surrounded by a bunch of people and things with the same dirty hands. And every time you touch something that you think might help make you a little cleaner, it just gets dirty itself. And it's into this dire picture, this hopeless picture that the gospel made is so sweet. I, I want to just show you a few examples in the life of Jesus of how he intersected with clean people, or dirty people, I'm sorry, defiled people, unclean people. There were three examples I just want to point you to real quick. First, it was a woman that encountered Jesus that she had a, um, a mission of blood. She, she bled for 12 years. She was ceremonially unclean, unpure, uh, according to the Old Testament law. She couldn't go near anyone. She had to tell everyone she was unclean. Imagine being diagnosed like you have, you're a positive with COVID for 12 years, no one comes near you. You can't worship with God's people. And what she does out of desperation in a crowd is she, she goes and reaches and touches Jesus. And listen to what happens in Matthew 9. It says, Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. The, the second one, uh, this, the next story right after that one, Jesus is going to heal a sick girl who actually dies on the way for him to go see her. And um, this is what happens in Matthew 9. This girl has died. The crowd had been put outside. Jesus went in and he took her by the hand and the girl arose. Remember, you, you couldn't touch a, a dead body that made you unclean according to the law. Third one, a leper, someone that had, uh, if you were a leper, you had a skin disease. You, you had to yell out, people, stay away, I'm unclean, stay away from me from a distance. 
And one approached Jesus in Luke 5 and, and says, Jesus stretched out his hand and he touched him, saying, I, I will, and be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. So what did Jesus do when these unclean people came to him, came to him to be healed? Jesus healed plenty of people with his word. He didn't have to, but what did he do? He touched them. You were a Jew at a time. You, you did not touch these people. They would defile you. They'd make you dirty. But Jesus touched them, and, and for the first time, something different happened that had never happened before. They became clean. And, and it's hard for us to, to, I think, comprehend how astonished people of the time would have been. Like, who is this that, that touches all this dirty defilement, and that, that interacts and touches these unclean people, but he stays unclean, or he stays clean, and they become clean? You remember the principle that Haggai gave us, right? Dirt and defilement spreads. It's contagious. Not cleanliness and purity and wholeness. And, but for the first time, this rule was reversed by Jesus. Holiness beats sin. Wellness beats sickness. Purity beat defilement. And this is showing Jesus is not just a kind teacher. He, was the, he is the unmatched, holy, and pure God. And so when Jesus came back into the world, he was the first ever to walk into the picture of, of us standing around with all dirty hands in desperation. And when Jesus went to the cross, it was an invitation for us to, to wipe our filthy and muddy hands on him that we had tried to clean so many times before. But for the first time, Jesus actually made us clean, doing something no one else could do, nothing else could do. And that's what 2 Corinthians 5 says. It says, for our sake, he made him, he made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, who knew no defilement, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Listen to this. Did you hear that? Not, not your works are righteous now or your religious acts are righteous now. You, to the core, your heart, you are now the righteousness, the wholeness, the cleanness of God. So Jesus went to the source of our depravity, our heart, and made us clean. And so if you're a Christian, your identity is that. Your identity is clean and righteous and whole. You're holy at an identity level, not because you always act that way, but because the clean one has cleansed you. And if you're not a Christian, man, you might be here and you might feel exhausted because your life uh, feels like a mess, and you're grabbing at a lot of things to figure out how to make those circumstances and those messes feel better. And you might, or you might be exhausted from curating your life trying to convince yourself and others that you, you're really good. You really have it together. You're really good enough. And I want you to see that there is only one solution in the Bible the gospel offers to you to become clean and right and, and clean up your mess, and it's go to the source and Jesus will cleanse you. There's no religious activity that's going to make you clean before God. There's, there's no productivity or getting things done that's going to make you right before God. Only Jesus does. And that's why we, we sing that hymn, right? What can wash away my sin? Oh, I was wondering if you guys were going to do it. What? <laughs> what can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And man, if Christ has made you clean, it makes you want to live a pure life, right? When you look at Jesus undergoing the wrath of God, taking your filth, your dirtiness, you want to live a pure life. Man, my car has been a mess recently. It's got bird poop all over it. It's got like 
kid, it's got goldfish and who knows what kind of other food all inside. And man, if someone spent their whole day to come over and clean my car and detail it and vacuum it out, how do you think I'm going to treat my car now that it's like fully clean after you come and clean it? Do you think I'm just going to be like, whatever, kids, throw everything in there, like make a mess, it doesn't matter? No, if my kids like, if they drop one goldfish, I'm like, hey man, clean that up. I'm not parking under a tree so the birds are not going to poop on this car. Like, I'm going to keep it clean because someone has sacrificed so much to clean it for me. And guys, when we willingly nurture and, and have a safe harbor for sin in our lives, we're throwing a bucket of mud on the car that Jesus just cleaned. If you're a Christian and you don't want to eradicate sin in your life, you're, you're forgetting the gospel that's made you clean. And that's what's happening in Haggai here. In verses two, or chapters 2 and 15 to 17, God's waving his hand that people say, guys, consider. That's a word a lot in this book. Consider how your life is going right now. Look at the circumstances. Because you're not prioritizing a right heart, I'm withholding blessing from you to get your attention. Your, your sin is causing a cascading mess, and I'm trying to wake you up. God's withholding of blessing here is actually his, his love. He loves us enough to not let us wander away from him, just comatose on blessing. Pain is like his smelling salts to wake us up. And C.S. Lewis said this. I think I've used this quote before. C.S. Lewis says this too. He says, pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our consciousness, but he shouts in our pain. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And so, God may have lots of discomfort in your life to rouse you, to wake you up, to consider. In my heart, man, it feels, breaks and feels so heavy, guys, because I encounter so many Christians who are so neutralized, so held hostage because they're toying around with, not dealing with, like, just sin that is in their life. It could be a secret porn habit. It could be a pattern of lying so people make you seem better. It could be the secret bitterness that you have towards someone uh, in your life. It could be an inappropriate relationship, an emotional affair, drink, just good old-fashioned drinking too much. I, I don't know what it is, but it could be a hundred other things. But I see so many Christians that are neutralized by this. And God is lovingly using the pain from those things as smelling salts to try to wake you up. He might be withholding a relationship that you're longing for to wake you up. He might be withholding really an inner peace. Maybe you're just not at peace because he is trying to wake you up. He might be withholding clarity for your future because he's trying to wake you up to get your attention back on him. And this is good news, Christian. He will not leave you alone. He's going to keep trying to put smelling salts in your nose to wake you up. He wants to keep inviting healing power in your life because he loves you. And so how do we respond God lovingly shows us our sin, which is, which is really hard. How do we respond? And uh, two words that I just want to take us through right now. Uh, confess and, and repent. Confess and repent. That's what God invites Israel to do. It's what he's inviting us to do um, in light of our sin. And, and I, I think there's no, I don't have a more favorite verse to talk about this than, than 1 John 1.9. 1 John 1.9, I think you have, uh, yeah, 8 and 9 on there, but I'll just talk about 9. He says, Christian. If we confess our sins, he is faithful. God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I want to walk us through a few steps of what it looks like to confess and, and repent in light of our sin. One, John's inviting us here, confess to God. 
I don't know if you notice here, John says to the Christian, if you confess your sin, you'll receive healing and forgiveness for your sin. Now, this, this isn't saying it, if you don't confess every little sin before you died about how you like lied to your grandma, then you're going right to hell because you forgot one little one. That's not what he's saying. But what he's saying is the grace of Jesus that heals and cleanses us every day in our sin, that gives us freedom and heals us, is being activated and unleashed through confession of your sin. And confession just means uh, agreeing with God about your sin. It's just saying, man, God, I cannot believe I, I did it again. Man, Father, would you forgive me? I just agree that this is against you. This is against your heart, and I hate it, and I want to change. And God, I'm just, like, like, that, like, Matthew, uh, like when Jesus talks about just that, the tax collector praying, God, would you just forgive me, a sinner? And secondly, we confess to others. This is a little scary for some of us. So we confess to God, we confess to others. But listen to what James says. I love this verse. James says, therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Did you hear that? How can you experience healing in light of the sin in your life and the broken effects of sin in your life? Sharing it with other Christians, bringing it to the light with other Christians. James is saying the healing for the sin in your, in your life is, is, having, is regularly contingent on you inviting other Christians into that situation. And it sounds scary, but, but this is a beautiful thing because when you bring a sin to another trusted believer, you get to like tangibly, even physically experience the grace of God. Um. Man, like when I come and get to like confess a sin to someone, maybe it was in a stew group or, or maybe it was to my wife, like there's always a little bit of that fear, like, oh man, how are they going to respond? I'm, I'm sharing something that is, it, I'm being humbled. It's embarrassing maybe. And are they gonna, how are they going to respond? And man, to have a Christian look you in the eyes and say, man, thank you for sharing that. I love you. I forgive you. Jesus loves you so much. And I actually love you more because you just shared that. Let me just give you a huge gospel hug. Like, can I, if, if you've done that, you just know how healing and how good that is. That God is actually taking his people, giving you a tangible representation of him to, to just wrap his arms around you and remind you of his grace. It's so good. And um, man, on the reverse side, you get to be that for other people when other people come and confess sin to you. And that's one of the big reasons we do stoop groups. If you're not in a stoop group, it's a small group of just men, just women, where we, we just, that's one of the things we do. We come and confess sin, we heal, we preach the gospel, uh, we love one another, we, we help each other walk with Jesus more, and a huge part of that is just bringing out and confessing sin. Okay, so we confess to God, confess to other people, trusted Christians, and three, we turn. Um, we bring our sin to the light, and we turn. In Haggai uh, chapter 2, 18 and 19, the people, they, they turned. They started building the temple again. They were convicted by God, and they turned and worked. And guys, true confession is always going to be accompanied by a, a fresh and an often radical change in your life. 
it's a turn, it's a change, it's in step with the purity or holiness that Jesus has already purchased for you. It might be ending a toxic relationship. It might be prioritizing generosity for the first time. It might be uh, forgiving someone that you've had a long-standing bitterness against. But confession and, and repentance, they're like, they're like breathing for the Christian. This is like a daily activity to keep us spiritually alive. And I think so many Christians are holding your breath. You're holding your breath, and it is spiritually killing you because of lies, I think, that Satan is feeding you. And, and just a few of those lies I just want to hit on really quick. I think these are big, um, of why we don't do this. Uh, the first one is uh, no one's struggling with this, sin. I, back to 1 John 1, right before 1.9, he says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. I love that John wrote this after talking about you know, confession, right before he says, um, the expectation is that you're going to struggle with sin, Christian. Christians are not people coming together on Sunday to convince one another of how super duper holy guacamole that we are together all the time. Others can relate with your sin, I promise you. Uh, the second lie is, is I'll be condemned. Yeah, I'll be condemned, I'll be cast out, I'll be alienated relationally. If I share with others, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be put aside, and, and the relationship's going to be hurt. And friends, I'm just going to tell you, nothing could be further from the truth than with a gospel people. The foundational reality of our life is I was spiritually dead. I had nothing to give God. I was a dirty sinner, and, and I'm saved by God's cleansing work. And so how does that affect how we view each other, right, in light of sin? Tons of grace. If you're a Christian, your heart lights up when someone comes to you to, like, reveal and talk about sin and confess that to you. I, we had a um, former member, she, she's left now, and um, she confessed just like a regular kind of struggle with just telling little white lies in conversation and make herself seem a little better. And something That's a common struggle, right? And I just remember that one time she just was sharing, and in the middle of sharing, she's like, you know what, stop. Actually, hold on. I just said that, and that wasn't quite true. Can you, can you forgive me? Man, I don't know why I do that. Would you forgive me? How do you think I responded? You sinner. <laughs> How could you do that to me? I would never do that. You guys are laughing because you know it's not true, but no, I, I honestly like tear well up my eyes. Man, you, I love you so much more because you just shared that with me. And more than that, man, Jesus loves you so much more. I think I got up and just gave her a hug. Like, it is just like, it's so, if you love Jesus, you love seeing other people just bring sin, it just makes, and confess it, and speaking grace over their life. And actually, holding back sin, um, keeping it to yourself, well, actually, that's what will really alienate you from the closest people in your life. Subtly and secretly, it'll, it'll create distance and coldness in your relationships. All right, last line, line number three. I hear this a lot. My sin doesn't impact anyone. Um, let me share a story with you from the Old Testament, Joshua 7. Um, Israel was, was conquering the, the promised land, and as they conquered cities, uh, God gave instructions, don't, don't take any of these things from the cities, uh, the city that you're taking. And this guy, Achan, he took a lot of money, a lot of gold, a lot of loot that looked really good to him. No one knew about it. He took it to his tent. He hid it in his tent. He buried it. It was secret, secret sin. But in the days that followed, 
Israel started losing battles. They started losing lives. More and more Israelites got killed, and they got in despair. And God actually talked to them and said, hey, it's because there's sin in the camp. There's secret sin in the lives of one of your people, and until it gets addressed, it's going to be killing you, this, all, all of Israel. And, and I think that, that refrain is through the whole Bible, that people, you cannot insulate your sin to just affect you and not affect the people in your life, the people that you care about, God's people. And, and guys, I, I just I want to lovingly invite you that if you have secret sin in your life and you're a part of God's people, it is affecting and killing God's people. It is not, you cannot insulate it to yourself, even if no one knows about it. That goes for all of us. So I think these are all, there are more lies, but these are ones that we struggle to believe. They keep us stuck in shame, and they keep us from, I think, the healing that God really wants for us to have. And ultimately, it keeps us neutralized from the mission of God. I think you're... Unconfessed sin is like a dam holding back the, just the immensity of God's grace and healing that wants to be unleashed in your life. And I just want to offer a couple ways that I want to invite you to maybe kind of break that dam today or this week. Um, if, the, if the Spirit of God is just pricking you right now, it's like, I need, to, I need to bring this out in the open. I just need someone to pray with me like right now, like today. Um, there are going to be a few people uh, up um, near the stage. They're going to have a purple lanyard on. They're some of my favorite people, so you can trust them. Um, just to pray with you. You can just say, I need prayer, or you can be more specific. But after the service, I'd love for you to come up and do that. If you're in a gospel community, if you're in a stew group, I, I really am, would encourage you this week um, to share or confess with um, your gospel community or stew group. That's a safe place to do that. Um, and maybe, man, you're just like, I need to, I've sinned against someone, and they just, I, I need to make sure that I'm accountable to have this conversation. Maybe even during this next, like, worship song when we close, you're like, I just need to text this person. Be like, yo, I got something to, t- I got something to tell you. Te- like, <laughs> like, we're going to talk about this later. You know, maybe you can do that. And as we wrap up Haggai, um, man, I, I love ha- how Haggai wraps up. We end with this future hope. I mean, as we journey through a messy world where we just grapple and struggle with sin, I, I love this hope because this battle, guys, is only temporary. 1 John 1, eight is not always true that we're always going to grapple with sin, but it is just that these days are coming to an end. The last verses of Haggai say, I'm about to shake the heavens and the earth and overthrow the throne and kingdoms. I'm about to destroy the strength of kingdoms and the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders. And really the ultimate fulfillment of this hope is really casting our eyes to, to Jesus, the conquering king who is going to come to us and say, behold, I'm making all things new. No longer will we be shackled with this bitter struggle with sin. We're going to dwell with God forever with pure and holy hearts that he has purchased and he has given us. And we long for that day. And while we wait, let's, let's take the counsel of Haggai with our priorities. Let's prioritize building God's kingdom over ours. Let's prioritize keeping our eyes on what lies ahead, not the nostalgia from behind in the good old days. And let's prioritize our internal holiness over our external work. Will you pray with me? God, we think about the words of Jesus when he said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. God, we want to see you. We want to experience you. We want to be near to you. And um, man, you've been doing a number just on on me this week, I think, just in how I need to uh, more readily confess sin and, and more readily repent and more readily breathe 
and embrace the grace that you have waiting to offer me. And so, God, I, I know that those are other people in here that feel that way too. And so, God, I, I pray against the lies of the enemy that would keep us from confessing sin to you and to one another. God, I pray for the lies that, that convince us that some kind of outward work or outward activity is going to make us right, is going to make us whole, but we would just go straight to Jesus. Thank you that the righteous God came and touched unclean people like me. Oh, what grace. And so, God, we, we pray along with David, would you create in me, would you create in us a clean heart? Would you renew a right spirit in us? And would you use us, catapult us to display this God that can make anything new, that can make anything clean, that can restore and resurrect dead things? What grace we have in Jesus. We thank you now. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you stream your podcasts. To find other messages or get more information about Redemption City Church, visit us online at rccbaltimore.org. Thank you for listening to the Redemption City Church Podcast.